We would like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which Wurundjeri is created. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that the name Wurundjeri was taken from the Wadi Wadi Nation without permission and we are striving to do better for future reconciliation. Hello. Hey. Welcome back to our Post-Irony Parables with Isaiah and Evan. Yep. Today we are back on the Frog and Toad book. I love Frog and Toad books by um, Arnold LaBelle. Yeah, and there's actually a new show coming out based on Frog and Toad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, released on the 28th of April. So that is tomorrow, I believe. Mm. Yeah, personally, I cannot wait to see. It's actually um, being directed by Christopher Nolan. Mm. He was um, working on it uh, while he was working on the recent Oppenheimer movie. And yeah. apparently there's a lot of um, interplay between... It's actually part of a, a larger canonical universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is really, really exciting. I know Evan and I are staying up all night tonight uh, to watch it as soon as it drops. Um, we're really excited. And we're thinking that... Uh, next week or in the coming weeks, we might actually uh, chat about it. Yeah, I mean, I will definitely be uh, hooked to the TV screen, um, eager to look at the the adventures of Frog and Toad, though apparently it is just adaptations mm-hmm. of the novel. But I'm, I'm excited to see where Nolan takes it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what sort of uh, themes uh, he focuses on uh, bringing out and also how how those themes kind of translate to... A screen, because as we know, uh, through LaBelle's wonderful um, imagery and and very very concise storytelling, he's able to um, translate so much using show, not tell. Mm. Um, whereas watching on a TV screen, you know, usually have to um, show a lot more uh, visually. Yeah, it's, so it'll uh, be really, really interesting. I think they've got... Tom Hanks playing Frog and Tom Hanks playing Toad as well. Yeah, so it's actually quite an interesting... Um, I've been checking out the behind-the-scenes for it, obviously, before we start on the book. But um, what they did was that... Basically, what they did is they got Tom Hanks to voice Frog. And then what um, they actually took some of Tom Hanks' hair and created a replica of Tom Hanks in um, a DNA lab. Mm. And then what they did is that uh, they just... They hit him in the head with a hammer... And then they got him to read the lines. And apparently he turned on a perfect Toad voice. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, Tom Hanks especially um, is uh, a very good uh, voice actor. He is. But uh, I heard they're also bringing Chris Pratt in. Yeah? Yeah, he's actually he's playing Mario again, except um, he's just in the show. Nice, Mario and Frog and Toad. I like that um, kind of intertextuality that that brings in. Mm, really <laughs> It really makes me uh, appreciate the, um, the the complexities of Arnold Lobel's work. Yeah, it does. Speaking of, uh, should we get started? We should, we should. So I will just mention, uh, so that means that maybe next week we'll talk about that, which is we started this uh, show as a to talk about, um, you know, really complex books with deep themes. But we thought since we've ended up reading so much of Arnold Lobel's work, uh, if if we watch it and we deem it necessary, we may we may uh, delve into a bit of uh, into a bit of screen studies, which we don't usually do. But anyway, so some sort of like special special one off sort of uh, thing. 
So Even. let's start by analyzing the cover. Yeah. So um, obviously we've analyzed the cover a few times, but every time I come back to the cover, I, I discover new things to appreciate. About. There's, a, there's always more. Yeah, exactly. Like it's difficult to notice, but you can see um, the very they're, so they're walking on um, grass, and if you look closely at the grass mm. and you squint a little bit, it actually starts to look a little bit like paper of some sort, which you know there's very deep intertextual um, mm. themes. Yeah, it's very interesting because uh, this is a paperback book, mm. and so they've re- released that. So maybe that's a nod to. Um, to the, the creation of mm. of um, Arnold LaBelle's art, and in doing so, also kind of a, a, a meta a meta look at um, consumerism mm. and and uh, production means of production. I, I think it's also interesting where if you look in the middle, so there's Toad here, who's the shorter. He's holding the, the string, mm. which is attached to the kite, which uh, Frog is holding. Mm. And if 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 you look at it like for a little while and like squint a bit it, it it kind of all blurs together like like some colors on paper and i think that's a it's a mm. really really interesting um visual that comes up a uh, very very meta uh cuz you know obviously this book has been printed on paper mm. um and so so it raises really strange or not strange just unusual unique um unique inter- intertextual uh, themes and connections. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Toad is the shorter one and Frog is the taller one. And mm-hmm. all, as we've established, um, this is because of the, the inherent species hierarchy which exists uh, canon in universe. Mm. But something which is not often noted is that they only have um, four fingers, mm. which is, uh, if you're familiar with the story of um, Tom Thumb, um, Tom Thumb is actually called that because uh, he lost his thumb in a tragic uh, boating accident. And um, so now he only has four fingers. Mm. But I thought that was interesting because obviously Tom Thumb is a very famous literary character. So th- there's a potential that Frog and Toad are, of course, uh, referencing that. Referencing that. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's another thing that I don't think I've noticed before, which is um, only coming to me now, which again just shows how amazing Arnold LaBelle is and how interesting this book is and how you can just reread it and reread it because mm. there's so much uh, that comes forward. When If you look at this cover and you, you kind of squint, you can't really tell who's taller out of Frog and Toad, mm. which is really interesting because there is that um, that class divide between these two species. Mm. Uh, obviously, uh, Frog sees himself as uh, more powerful, more deserving, better in every single way and mm. Obviously, uh, his species is dominant in that. Um, but when you like look at it for a bit, and you like squint um, quite a bit, if, if you like, like if you like squint like a lot, it it almost looks like you can't tell who's taller, which is mm. kind of breaking down those class divides and that mm. that um, that yeah, that the separation and I guess segregation that exists between frog and toad. Mm. And um, something which I didn't notice um, is that. If you turn the book upside down and then try to read it, you actually can't read it, which is um, obviously an intentional move by Arnold LaBelle. Um, he's obviously trying to further uh, further disguise, you know, his extremely deep um, 
themes of the book by making it so that you can only read it in a particular way. Mm. Yeah, make it inaccessible for someone who picks it up and wants to read it uh, once they've rotated 180 degrees. It's completely mm. inaccessible because you just can't. Exactly. You can't read it. But it is an intentional, um, intentional choice that Uncle LaBelle has made to, to really make sure that readers uh, really want to read this book, mm. really want to understand its themes, really want to properly delve in. So they're actually going to start by, again, rotating 180 degrees until mm. it's up the proper way. Yeah, and I mean, it's you know, that's a lot of effort to ask for a reader. So, you know, Arnold LaBelle obviously has a very intent, intentional vision mm. um, when he refused to make it uh, possible to read upside down. Yeah, there's, there's also another thing that I'm just noticing now is that uh, this book, if you pick it up and, and mm. like, don't, like, move your hands away so they're not supporting, supporting it all, it actually obeys the laws of gravity. Mm. Um, it's a really interesting choice for Arnold LaBelle to make uh, – for it to obey such a such, I guess, a, a fundamental law that we're all affected by every day, because mm. um, you know, he has the choice to make it so it could just stay there. Mm. Um, but in doing so, he shows uh, that he too has to conform, um, and and as does everyone, as do frog and toad to the to the uh, hierarchies that have been in place since before they've you know before they even existed. Mm. Yeah, it's just, there's a lot to unpack from the cover. I didn't, you know, it takes a lot of time to appreciate, which is why we take a lot of time to uh, obviously investigate which um, themes and sort of intention the author has when, you know, they write the book. And, you know, it's not just writing the book. There's also in the creation of the book, mm -hmm. they can display their intent, yeah. which is, you know, interesting that uh, Arnold Lobel crafts such an intricate meta narrative, you know, involving gravity. Um, especially in comparison to other texts that I've read. Mm. Mm. So uh, today we'll be reading The Hat by Anne LaBelle uh, in Days with Frog and Toad. It starts at page 42. So we just... Which is obviously, you know, I mean, that number obviously has some sort of relevance, but I can't, of course, bring it to mind right now. Yeah, I, I can't put my finger on it either, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that number's important for some reason. Mm. Um, okay. The hat. On Toad's birthday, Frog gave him a hat. Wow. So, like, what does it really mean to give somebody a hat? To give someone a hat is an act of, you don't want them to get burnt. So it's, mm. it's an act of, it's an act of love. Mm. But it can also not be, perhaps it's an uncomfortable hat or looks really unfashionable. Mm. In which case it, it can be like a hate crime. And considering the class divide between frog and toad, um, you know, these forces of good and evil that are always at contrast to each other. Yeah. It, it seems like that could very much be the intention behind uh, frog giving him a hat. Mm. However, in this first line, Arnold LaBelle says, on toad's birthday. Oh, I Now, see. what does it mean to have a birthday? I... I'm not quite, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that could be said about a frog having a birthday. Mm -hmm. You know, when is, it, when is a frog or a toad really born? Yeah. And w what does it mean for a frog or toad to even be alive? Mm. And another thing is, you know, frog gave him a hat. Frog obviously is the superior species. Yeah. But, you know, a hat is also a, 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 a tool of um, subjugation, you know. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Jesus wore a crown of thorns and... In that context, you could really see Frog giving Toad a hat as, you know, him saying, 
you know, you are not, you are not actually worthy of a, a proper hat. It's more of a symbolic tool of subjugation. It's, it's almost like, yeah, it bring forth, brings forth religious iconography of Pontius Pilate condemning Jesus to death, like wiping his, <laughs> wiping his hands um, of the duty of having to, having to deal with this because uh, Frog may not, may not even despise Toad in this way, but he's aware that people are chanting for this, this Toad mm. to die um, and that this, this Toad deserves to die. And he says... Look, like, do you have any answer for it? And Toad just looks up to him, small little guy. He goes, I wash my hands of this. I'm going to give you a hat. Mm. Uh, you can carry your own cross now. Um, die now, yeah. king of the Jews. Yeah, I mean, and of course, you know, there's the, the plagues that were brought upon Egypt, um, which obviously were composed partly of frogs and toads. So, you know, frog and toad could potentially... You know, there's just the depth of biblical references, which um, mm. Arnold LaBelle manages to encompass with only seven, eight short words is incredible. Yeah. Um, and you may wonder after this on Toad's birthday, Frog gave him a hat. We've brought up all these different points. How does Toad feel about that? Mm. And Arnold LaBelle knows that that's exactly what we're thinking. Because he then goes on to write, Toad was delighted. Wow. Which is really interesting considering all the... Um, all the all the potential harm that this this act of hat giving mm. uh, could could uh, bring to mm. yeah bring to fulfillment in um in Toad like there's a level of subtext um to the passing of the hat as it was um which Arnold Bell really brings out. Happy birthday, said Frog. Toad put on the hat. It fell down over his eyes. Wow. So we can't see. He can't see. You know, he's been, you know, the, the act of Frog giving him the hat has blinded him. It's blinded him. To some degree. It's blinded him to the reality of the world. Mm. It may potentially also be that in this act of giving, uh, uh, quote unquote, as Frog is giving Toad the hat, it seems like a good thing, seems like a present. Mm. However, in doing so, Frog is attributing a good, sorry, Toad is attributing like goodness and acts of love to Frog, mm-hmm. which isn't actually uh, Frog's intention. And so in doing so, he's being blinded by this gift that Frog's given him. He's being blinded to the horrors of war that Frog has committed, the, the bigotry, mm-hmm. uh, the racism, and, and the fact that Frog takes 90% of the money that they both earn together. Mm. Yeah, it's quite interesting as well once you consider, obviously, you know, the, the worker, the kind of feudal um, king-peasant relationship that exists between the two. And, of course, you know, Frog is giving him the hat and he's really violated. He's taken the vision of Toad um, in that it falls over his eyes. So there's really this... Um, Frog has not only violated, you know, the the intrinsic value of Toad as a, as a Toad by um, sapping him of his labor value, but has also um, set, uh, violated the sacred act of gift giving. Um, it's not really even giving a gift. You know, he's given the hat, but he's taken his vision. Mm. Yeah, he, he, God giveth and God taketh away, as they yeah, say. Yeah, it's, it's as quoted in the Bible, uh, an eye for a hat. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's the, if, if your eyes cause you to sin... You should put a hat over them. Um, is uh, uh, that is 
a letter from St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 43, verse 8 through 12, mm. I believe. Um, anyway. Which, it's, yeah, very fascinating um, stuff. I am sorry, said Frog. That hat is much too big for you. I will give you something. <laughs> wow. I, uh, that's really interesting because... In doing so, Arnold LaBelle completely subverts um, our expect- expectations mm. because, you know, we've already been talking about this for so long and it's evoked such strong emotions, uh, such strong themes that are so present throughout it, mm. um, tying to the usual contrast between frog and toad, good and evil, uh, so much religious iconography just in the first page. And then Arnold LaBelle goes, you know what? I'm actually going to take that away from you. So mm. that's a potential. We could have followed that path, but no, we're going to do something else now. Mm. I mean, he's completely subverted my expectations because I was, you know, the way I've been strung along so far by these, by this book is that, um, you know, Frog has given Toad the hat, but now, you know, Arnold LaBelle is saying, actually, the hat is too big and now he's going to take it away. Yeah. Which is, you know, uh, just a great subversion that I never saw coming. Yeah, and in doing so, he's going to give Toad's eyesight back. Mm. But at what cost? At what cost? Well, I suppose we'll find out. No, said Toad. This hat is your present to me. I like it. I will wear it the way it is. Wow. 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 Toad is truly, you know, he's taking on that, the burden Mm. of the hat. It brings, it makes me think of the myth of Sisyphus Mm. uh, with the, the burden of, putting your hat on and it covering your eyes. And you, every day you put it on hoping it won't mm. cover your eyes, but it does. And it's, and he's aware that it's a burden, but he knows that it's one that he has to, he has to live with every day. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you know, that famous proverb, see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. Toad is clearly, you know, well on the way to fulfilling those three tenets. Um, Toad sees no evil because he's, he's blocked his eyesight and he chooses to block his eyesight of frog. Mm, so, and frog is <laughs> Yeah, so it's interesting to see that because, you know, I'm wondering whether what happens next. Does Toad lose his ability to speak or or hear? I'm not sure if Toads have ears. Mm. Um, but it's a very uh, interesting take it's, from Toad. It's here. also really interesting. Uh, here when uh, Toad says, this hat is your present to me. I like it. I will wear it the way it is. If you reread that Mm. but add in a couple of words it says this hat is your present to me i don't like it i won't wear it the way it is wow i just like it's incredible how there's like a a multi there's multiple interpretations of what lobel has written here Mm. you know he's like he's proven that not only is he capable of writing a compelling story but you know um He's got that sort of narrative parallel sort of thing where mm. if you read it one way, Toad likes the hat. But if you read it the other way, you know, in the on the deeper level, Toad actually hates the hat. And is, is aware of um, the hateful gift that Frog has given him. Mm. And in doing so, uh, LaBelle creates a few different subtexts that you can read which create different narratives that are all going along at the same time. Mm. Really interesting. Just incredible stuff from LaBelle here, as usual. Okay. Frog and Toad went for a walk. Toad tripped over a rock. He bumped into a tree. 
he fell in a hole. Wow. It doesn't seem like Toad's having the best time. Yeah, and I mean, obviously it's all, you know, at the behest of Frog. Um, Frog is obviously, you know, if you're familiar with the, the Herculean tasks, this could really be seen as, you know, Toad. Toad has taken on this burden, um, which, you know, wasn't, he didn't, he didn't choose to take on. Similar to, you know, in the tale of Hercules, he has to do these 12 tasks mm-hmm. because um, uh, I remember, hold on a second. Yeah, it was, uh, he was betrothed to the king who, um, the king basically was like, uh, drove Hercules insane. And then after Hercules committed a heinous, heinous crime, mm-hmm. he was like, all right, now you have to do these 12 tasks or 10 tasks. Um, and, you know, you can really see that in the frog is the king and he's, he's forcing Toad into, you know, undertaking these falling into holes and bumping into a tree, mm. um, for his own self-satisfaction. Yeah. It's, you know, the trials of, of Toad. It also brings uh, to mind in, in the Stations of the Cross, uh, mm. in, in the Passion, the passion of the, of, uh, the Christ, mm. when Jesus is uh, forced to walk his cross up to the hill where he's going to be nailed to it and crucified, mm. and he's wearing the crown of thorns, i.e. the hat, mm. um, he falls three times, and they're three separate distinct um, moments in the Stations of the Cross. Mm. Um, they are... Th- three separate moments that people for years, for thousands of years have now have been stopping and being reverent of and thinking about the trials of falling and getting back up and falling and getting back up Mm. um, whilst carrying this really heavy burden. Just to die. Yeah, exactly. And and so Toad trips over a rock, he bumps into a tree and he falls in a hole. He falls three times. Mm. So obviously... um, some connections there. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I, I believe then it leads me to believe that at the end of this narrative, frog is going to be nailed to a cross and strung up and mm. bleed to death. I mean, yeah, like I know that Lobel definitely doesn't shy away from, um, graphic and serious content. So, yeah. um, I'm excited to see what he does with it. Frog said, Toad, I can't see anything. I will not be able to wear your beautiful present. This is a sad birthday for me. Wow. That really sucks for um, Toad, obviously. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. <laughs> and our frog probably is, isn't doing too well either. Yeah, frog's probably a bit sad, but also um, aware of the class divide and aware of his own prejudices, but he doesn't want to admit his privilege. Mm-hmm. And so he's happy to just kind of sit there and, and kind of let it, watch it all unfold, I guess. Yeah, I mean, obviously Frog revels at Toad's subjugation, but um, it's quite interesting to see that, you know, Toad not only Toad not only is willingly accepting, you know, the crown of thorns, mm. but also his own subjugation um, at the hands of Frog. Mm. Mm. And it's, it's also interesting where he says, this is a sad birthday for me. And if you reread that and you take out the birth, this is a sad day for me. So it's not only a sad birthday, but it's just a sad day in general mm. for Toad, um, which means he's not really enjoying it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely say that um, Toad isn't enjoying it because uh, it says right here that it's a sad birthday. And obviously that's only two words, but mm. it's quite incredible how Lobel manages to communicate that Toad is very sad. Yeah, which is quite fascinating. A lot of show, show not tell going on here. Like he could have just said, 
I am sad, but no, he says, this is a sad birthday for me. And, mm. you know, he hasn't even used any emotions in that, in that sentence. And you still think, oh my God, he's sad. Mm. He, and you feel that without uh, Arnold LaBelle even saying that. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell Toad is just wallowing in the depths of misery, which is um, heartbreaking for obviously our hero character. Um, Frog and Toad were sad for a while. As you are. Then Frog said, Toad, here is what you must do. So here he is, obviously exerting the master-slave relationship. Mm. <laughs> Toad, here is what you must do. As you can he's see. He's giving demands. He's simply denying um, Toad of his autonomy. Yeah, of course. And obviously Toad will obey because he doesn't have any other option given the wider societal context uh, where the story takes place. Mm. Mm. Tonight, when you go to bed, you must think some very big thoughts. He's forcing him to be existential as well. Wow. Those big thoughts will make your head grow larger. In the morning, your new hat may fit. What a good idea, said Toad. Wow. Wow. So, obviously, Frog is, you know, I don't think the um the big thoughts um and his head growing larger, it's obviously a metaphor of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever seen the film Megamind, <laughs> then you'll know that um the main character is actually a deformed toad. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see how Arnold Lobel not only predicted the creation of Megamind, <laughs> Megamind but... but in fact, you know, was the precursor. Yeah, almost informed it. Um, and it's really interesting because that is a scientific fact. If you think big thoughts, your head gets bigger. Mm. It's, it's in a similar vein to if you think enough about pasta, your fingers start to um, turn into pasta mm. just a little bit. But it's really interesting, the science behind that. And it kind of goes hand in hand with consciousness mm. because, at, you know, the very heart of science, we don't understand what consciousness is. We don't understand what it is that makes us self-aware or, mm. or experience this existence. But, uh, but for some reason, th- th- it must be a link between the physical and, and the mental because mm. if you think you're pasta, you'll turn into pasta. If you think big thoughts, your head will get big. Mm. If you think your name is Toad, you're going to be – subject to um to racism and classism for the rest of your life yeah i mean it's very interesting as well because um there's been numerous studies done on the effect of thinking big thoughts and uh what degree it affects you know your head size Mm. and they've actually found that people who think small thoughts um actually have very small heads yeah it is true which is quite um very very crazy thing to know the correlation is crazy and also um, I believe I I read a study recently that said that it was about the same thing with the, the small and big thoughts, but it said that it doesn't actually matter on the length or complexity of the thoughts. It just matters on kind of how big the font is in your head mm. when you're thinking them. So it could be a relatively simple thought, but if you're thinking it in Times New Roman, maybe 128 uh, font, uh, two-line spacing, uh, your head will get bigger. But if you're, if you're thinking in... Uh, Calibri bold, uh, mm. font size 11, uh, one point line spacing, mm. your, your head is not going to get that much bigger. Yeah. I mean, I don't even like, I have the font so big now that I actually can't even read the individual, the actual words. I can only see like part of the letter every time I try to visualize it in my head. Me too. I don't have thoughts any longer. I just, I just see like the little corner of the, mm-hmm. of the text. Um, but I think that's good because, um, I've, I've been able to uh, go up many sizes in my hats over the years. Ah, uh, yeah, this is true. I've like um, also have that experience. Mm. 
and no longer am I blinded to the um, the the truths of of the class divide between frog and toad, mm. or um, frog's bigotry. Mm. Yeah. So I think like obviously there's a lot to unpack here. Um, what a good idea," said Toad. That night, when Toad went to bed, he thought the biggest thoughts that he could think. Toad thought about giant sunflowers. Wow. It's a pretty big thought. That is pretty big. Uh, he thought about tall oak trees, especially for a frog. Mm. He thought about high mountains covered with snow. Wow. So there's also an image here of Toad um, thinking these things, and they're definitely quite large. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can see, this mountain is about as big as the tree. Which and the tree is like maybe one and a half times because the sunflowers mm. and the sunflowers are probably about as big as his head and neck. Mm. In which case, the mountain is probably about uh, two of Toad's heads. Um, mm. And on if if we think uh, on average, I believe a Toad's head is roughly three or four centimeters. Mm. That means this mountain is roughly six to eight centimetres tall, which is mm. a pretty big mountain. Yeah, this is true. I mean, yeah, there was um, a recent study done where they tried to, you know, artificially insert big thoughts into the heads of toads. It didn't work. It was um, disastrous, actually. What they basically did is that they got the toad and they got this big thought and then they got a hammer and tried to smash it into the toad's head. And um, disastrous results. Mm. What actually ended up happening is that the toad died. <clears throat> then Toad fell asleep. Frog came into Toad's house. He came in quietly. So wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's break, breaking and entering. Yeah, so obviously, you know, Frog doesn't need to regard property laws because he knows that Toad doesn't actually have any rights to property. or And, and he knows that he's, he's above the law because... Um, he is seen as 